You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent, and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30. And you will receive 30% off your purchase. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back. Podcast number 279. We're headed up to central Pennsylvania where the hunting heritage is thick. The timber is vast and covers many, many acres. And we're going to head over and chat with one of our clients, Mr. Will Russell. Will, you there? I'm here. Thanks for joining us. On this podcast to discuss your farm and your 2020 hunting season and uh, 2020 Pennsylvania politics. Kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it seems like everybody's talking about Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, well, two weeks ago we sure were, but um, we're going to talk about uh, some stuff that most people want to hear us talk about, and that is hunting and habitat. So you've had a pretty good season up there so far. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, um, we uh, 
now that the the plan plans coming together that 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 you laid out um i think we i had about seven seven hunts in the stand this year and and four four deer down so um definitely a good season oh man that's awesome um when when i say the hunting heritage i think i'm not sure you know i've never experienced even a pennsylvania rifle season but I, I, you know, we, we do a lot of work in Pennsylvania and, and, uh, well, I'll say one thing. You don't see a lot of hunting shows based on their operation out of Pennsylvania. Um, but there is few, few states can hold a candle to the amount of, uh, heritage that goes along with deer season in, in Pennsylvania. Oh yeah. No, it's, uh, it, it definitely, um, runs pretty thick where we're at. I mean, Everyone is off school, school first day of, of deer season. And, um, I mean, there's, it's, gets hunted hard, gets Mm. hunted real hard. So, yeah. And I, and I say that, like, I think, you know, when it comes to Pennsylvania, you've got, depending on what part of the state you're in, but where you're at, you're kind of right there in, in kind of mountainous terrain, um, lots and lots and lots of acres of timber and, um, so if it's not managed timber, you've got, we've, we've shared these numbers before, but in case you, uh, in case you haven't heard them in a while, we're talking, and this is research done by the University of Tennessee extension with Dr. Craig Harper, but, you know, closed canopy forest having roughly 50 to a hundred pounds of forage available through in a whole year, um, per acre. And so when you think of an adult deer eating 2000 pounds, uh, in a year, it takes a lot of acres to feed a very big deer herd. Um, and will, uh, how many, how many antlerless tags can you get a year in Pennsylvania where you're at? Well, where I'm at, if I'm lucky, I can get two, um, some years, just one. You, you, you send in for the lottery. You always get usually your first one, but the second one's a little bit of a toss up. They have some different DMAP programs in different areas that you can get a few more, but some of those programs you have to volunteer to let other hunters come on your property, which I I don't really like to do too much. So Yeah. Especially, you know, you're like us where you've got mountainous rain and timber and where you can really goof up a property through for several weeks if you hunt it incorrectly. So we kind of really monitor the hunting and and especially the access. And that was a big part about what we talked about when I was on your place for the consult in 2019. But, um, and I ask you that because if you think about managing a property, we've done podcast after podcast about habitat management. And then we talk about the importance of controlling the herd because you're only as good as your overall management. If you're a really good habitat manager, but you're not managing your herd and your herd is exploding to a point where your habitat can't hold it, you're going to have the the risk of starvation or major um, influence or, or, or decline in your overall habitat production. And, and, you know, that's what you see a lot in Pennsylvania with the regulations of very few doe tags. And so if you get two doe tags and you're managing, well, to remind us again, or I guess open it up of the farm, your dad owns a portion of a farm, uh, owns a farm, and you own a, a farm, but they're together and create an overall farm of how many acres? 
280 acres. 280 um, acres um, total. You total. own. There's 165 acres of, of woods, and then the, the farm itself is 115 that, that butts up against it. And the 115 is mostly, I mean, we're talking 90% into cattle production, um, whether it be a hay field or a pasture. Um, and then you've got your portion, which is 99% timber. So you go from straight timber into pasture. Neither one of those are very productive for wildlife um, in a stance of the timber's closed canopy hardwoods and the cattle pasture has has cattle on it year-round, if that's the case. Now, your dad does some rotations and incorporates diversity into his pastures, so it's a little better than what a lot of people are, are dealing with. But overall, in an ideal world, neither one, closed canopy forest or cattle pasture, produce incredible wildlife numbers. Now, that's where we'll pause or, or kind of say that's typically what people experience. That's not what you're experiencing now because of your work that you guys are doing up there. But if you can only kill two does, and that's per person, so if it's you and your dad, you got maybe four, most likely three um, doe tags to lower that herd every year. And you and I both know that 200, you said 280 acres, is that right? Right. 280 acres have probably more than three does on it per year. So you yeah. know that with quality habitat, not to get too political here, but when it comes to uh, regulations on the ability to manage a herd to create a healthy, uh, not only a healthy whitetail population, but a healthy ecosystem, you need to be able to harvest more does than three or four between two people on 280 acres. Yeah, for sure. And and there's there's a lot of landowners around us that similar to me where, you know, you have three or four guys hunting, you know, three hundred acres here, four hundred acres there that I mean, within a thousand acres around us you might might be a half a dozen does killed each yeah. year. We gotta get we gotta get to some uh state senators and state reps, get some legislation change. <laughs> yeah, or the PA Game Commission. We got to get somebody. Right. All you listeners, if you're in Pennsylvania, call up your your uh, commissioner, or call somebody, and tell them we need some r- rules change because uh, it is it is frustrating. And, and I'm states away, and all I'm doing is helping you guys lay out the farm to improve the hunting. But when you send pictures of piles, I gotta yeah, I, I laugh now when I say piles <laughs> of deer because my wife that's. It's like the one thing that really bothers her about my uh, way of speaking is I'll be like, oh, there's a pile of deer in the field back there. And she's like, they're not piled up. It's not like a pile of snow. I'm like, yeah, but it's just a reference to there's a bunch of deer. And she's like, then say there's a lot of deer. Don't say there's a pile of deer. It makes it sound like they're all piled up on top of each other. Um, Yeah. But a pile of deer. So anyway, um, overall, though. You know, when you've got a lot of does, um, a lot of, <laughs> you've just got a lot of deer, uh, you risk the chance of of uh, over-pressuring or um, decli- causing a decline in the habitat uh, and the overall land health. And that's what you were experiencing when I visited in, in 2019. Um, you bought the farm 2015. 
and I got there in January of 2019. And I think one of the first things that we noticed, you know, came at a an appropriate time of year. I don't know if we were dressed appropriately because it was like three degrees that day. But we noticed with the amount of snow that, you know, Will, I, I think we could all agree that we're there. Food was very limited. Yeah, no, that, that definitely was. I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure how you could figure out what was going on with three feet of snow, but, um, you definitely did. So, yeah, when we, when we chatted, it was like, okay, you know, there's, there's definitely a limited resource here. And that is the, the, um, form of late season food. And not only that, but cover is definitely limited. Um, and so, you know, when we when we get to a place, it's it's 2019, it's January, and going, okay, we're in the middle of Pennsylvania, and it's timber ground. What do we got to do? And, uh, you know, let, let's go back now to 2015. You bought the farm, and um, it's 99% timber. What was uh, what was some of your first first uh, steps into into this place? What were some of the first things yeah, you did? I- well, I, I grew up hunting the, the edges of the property because my dad's farm was there, right? So it, as soon as we, we bought it, I wanted to rush back and, and hunt the new 165 acres, you know, back through the middle, all over the place. And and uh, pretty quickly found out that, uh, man, it, w- it wasn't very easy to kill kill a deer on, you know, that closed canopy force of uh, 165 acres. So you know, I had a, a friend that's a, a logger um, that was doing some things. And he's like, hey, let's let's throw a few food plots back in there. So um, probably around 2017, we, we put about three acres of food plots back in the woods. And, um, you know, that, that helped a little bit. But um, it, honestly, it was, it, it was difficult to, to, to shoot a deer, let alone a good buck, um, you know, the way, the way it stood. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not shocked by that. You know, when, when you think about it, it's something that so many people are experiencing is you, you buy a farm and you put in food plots. Cause that's, that's what, uh, that's, that's what we know as the most important thing to do. Right. And uh, that's what we picture from hunting magazines and hunting shows is I'm going to sit over a green field and see a pile of deer. But then you get into it of going, you know, I really don't know which way or where the deer are coming from and where they're going when they do leave here. Uh, not to say you're not seeing deer, but if you're targeting deer that the neighborhood isn't killing, meaning uh, if you're if you're looking for upper age class bucks or bucks that have larger antlers than what your neighbors are killing, you got to be willing to do what the neighbors aren't already doing. And I think that was one big thing when I got there was we're going to try to do and provide things that aren't already occurring in the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, when when we discussed that, it was like, okay, you have food plots. The neighbor's got crop fields. There's really no difference between the two right now. Um, your food plots are getting overbrowsed, and their crop fields have spilled grain. So both are limited. Um, and so I think that was one of the big things that you and I discussed was, okay, we need to fix this problem both from a maybe larger food plots or maybe more food plots if it makes sense 
And then at the same time, how do we provide more food from the native standpoint? And I think that's where it got really exciting for us. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I, I, when you came and you, you know, you laid out a plan of, um, you know, bedding thickets and, and a few food plots, but edge feathering, some old field management. I mean, it, it was all kind of foreign to me when you, when you first came, I, I had to process it for a little bit after you, after you left, but, um, you know, I, I, I had a, a, I mentioned my buddy that was a, a logger. So, um, once she kind of laid out the plan, we, I had an advantage because he, you know, he could come in and start TSI and doing clear cuts. So, um, we, we got to work pretty quick after you, you left Absolutely. the first time. Yeah. So when we, you know, when, when I was first there, you had hunted the fringes and you had a food plot that was kind of in the interior. So it was like, okay, you know, like the Ozarks, like a lot of mountainous terrain is the food plots go on the flat ground. And that doesn't always mean that sets up the best for hunting. Uh, there was one food plot that I remember going, this is a little bit intrusive, but it's a really nice food plot. So we have to figure out how to do this better. And so with some um, targeted bedding areas or bedding thickets, which I'll explain kind of the difference between what a lot of guys are dealing with or what a lot of guys do with their bedding thickets versus fortunately for you, what you did with it and same outcome, <laughs> a different result or different practice because um, uh, we'll explain in a second. But through some targeted manipulation of the habitat, we were able to create better travel patterns, even though the intrusion or the access trail to certain food plots was not ideal. We made it, we kind of made lemonade out of lemons. And uh, so, like a lot of people, you've got a wide open canvas of closed canopy forest with a few food plots. And I think one of the big things for us was how do we increase native forage as well as cover? Because we're in Pennsylvania. Hunting heritage is thick. There's a lot of guys that are, are hunting. The neighborhood's getting hunted pretty hard. We need to create secure cover that also provides food. And that was ding, ding, ding. Number one thing we can do is manage this timber. And, uh, you know, uh, what year you bought the farm? Twenty fifteen. When was the previous tim any kind of timber cut? Um, so right twenty fourteen, right before I bought it, the the prior landowner um, he came in and high graded it. Um, because when I when I was in the process of buying it, he told me like, "Hey, look, just telling you how it is. I took a hundred thousand and a good timber off of here, and there's there's not much left, and um, so." You know, but that that was not not really any rhyme. Just took the just took the good timber out of there. So yeah, he took the very best and just left everything else. And uh, you know, it was is I think a lot of people have experienced that. Fortunately for you, you have a uh, a logging friend or a friend who owns a logging company and also has a mill very close by, or there's a mill very close by. That is something that. <laughs> I've told this to you and one other client that I would strive to have that across the country because we could do a lot of really, really awesome timber management if we had what you guys have. A, uh, a logger who gets it, who knows, who can just take the plan and run with it, and also a paper mill um, close by. And I I mean, I don't know how to, for, for you guys that are listeners 
the paper mill works in really, really well for the the plan that we laid out because they had the ability to take trees that aren't as high a value from a from a lumber standpoint, but still remove them, still allow the landowner to make some money and imp- overall improve the uh, improve the forest. And by that, I mean some of these trees that we would call weed trees had the uh, ability to bring value to the landowner by being removed and sent to the paper mill. And that opens up the canopy for all kinds of other um, vegetation to grow that may provide forage for wildlife or cover, uh, or as well as stump sprout to where we can provide winter forage uh, or year-round forage, mainly, you know, very important forage during the winter months in that portion of the of the world. So this paper mill has played in really, really well for you guys. And uh, so I'm there 2019, and we're talking, you know, we gotta we got to figure out something with this timber. we got to do something. And I think one of the big things is we got to cut more timber. And I think yep. you kind of looked at me at that point and was like, how the guy just cut a whole bunch of timber and it was like we got to figure something out and uh fortunately your logging friend was there uh who was like yeah i can i can work with this i can still get some i can still do some stuff with this and uh so when we lay out bedding thickets typically i lay them out from the standpoint of going okay half acre is the goal to an acre and after an acre you know the next year we may make it an acre and a half or we may make it two acres we're just going to expand on it little by little but when you're running a timber operation like uh you have on your place we have the ability to say okay here's a full acre here's a full two acres cut it and the logger comes in and goes if there's anything out there that i want that i can make money it doesn't even matter if i can make axe handles out of it or send it somewhere to make axe handles i can cut it and because there's he he wants this open anyway and so for you i I forget how many bedding thickets are on your place did i lay out i think we have about 12 or 14 okay i I was thinking so on a a, basically 180 acres of timber correct yep yeah so you do the math i mean if each one of those, about 20 to twenty to 30, let's just say 20 to 30 acres of clear cut, but it's dotted across the property. I'd be curious, has Onyx updated on your farm yet? No, it, it, it hasn't. Because hasn't as soon yet. as it updates, neighbors will, or neighbors or anybody who looks at the aerial of your farm would be uh, to go, woo. This farm looks different than everywhere else. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've been thinking the same thing. It's going to look kind of crazy when the secret, up on there. The secret's going to be out. Yeah, I, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so you've got about 12 to 14 clear cuts, um, and we call them bedding thickets, but for you, they're clear cuts because do you have the ability to make money off of it? or at least not break your back cutting them. Typically, oh, yeah. well, you know that if if I lay this out and, and I said, okay, these are where the bedding thickets need to be, you would be running a saw. And you know with your busy schedule with young kids, having the ability to cut in 12 bedding thickets would have taken you years to complete. No, for sure. And now yeah, you've, but... you're running a uh, – you've got a timber crew in there and they're cutting it and – in a matter of, you know, I was there in 2019, I was there again in 2020, 
shh, don't tell the governor I snuck in. But um, I was there in 2020, and you already had a majority of the cuts. Did you have all of them or almost all of them? You you haven't completed the western side of the timber yet. It's done now. It's all done. Oh, is it really? It's all done. Yeah. The only thing we have left to do is plant plant some thermal bedding but um all all the clear cuts and bedding thickets are all cut oh wow Um, because we we kind of broke up the property we tsi'd um the first first half uh last year yeah did all the bedding thickets that were within that and then the the west side of the property we finished that up this summer and hit all the bedding thickets so man they're all cut they're all cut. And, so it's all been yep. cut, and the purpose of that was for anybody, and I, I, know, I know a lot of our listeners have probably heard this um, or have experienced this, but if you're in this part of the world where uh, you have a limited food resource but you have a high deer density, you know that if you go out and you cut a little bit of TSI, the, the stump sprouts don't make it very long because they get over-browsed. And so our goal in this area was we're going to cut and hope we're going to cut a large area. We're going to cut a lot of young forests or clear cuts and just hope that there's enough food for these couple of years that it can outgrow the browse pressure. And, uh, you know, so far we're very confident that we have done that. Um, and, And so not only have we just put more sunlight on the ground to provide more um, forbs or herbaceous plants to grow and grasses, but those are also going to help protect some of those young stumps um, from being overbrowsed. So eventually, you know, two years from now, we're going to look back and say we'll be able to give a fairly good, accurate uh, or a fairly accurate uh, assumption on whether or not we cut enough timber. So far, Will, based on what you saw this fall um, with the story that you'll share in a little bit, do you feel like it's going to grow out of reach of the deer? Oh yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's growing. It's, I mean, the whole property at this point, I mean, there, there's food across the entire thing. When I, whenever I first bought it, I mean, there, there was, there was nothing there. So, um, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting with even the amount of deer that we have, um, there's, there's still food, um, food everywhere you know no no i'm not talking the food plots but just the browse across the property mm. um you know it, it's it's definitely pretty cool to see see what's going on there um you know right now we're we're in the middle of pennsylvania rifle season and um typically you you don't even see a, a deer moving in the daylight because it gets pressured so hard but um i mean i have pictures of all kinds of stuff all hours of the day just you know in there living um, life polluted right they don't they don't even realize it's it's deer season and the ones that do are on my property so it's uh definitely pretty pretty exciting that's awesome you know i i think back the the hunting heritage and the ozarks i'd say is is pretty doggone strong i don't know how it compares to hair uh to to pennsylvania heritage but you know, I've shared that story before, but my brother counted like 130 some shots by 731 opening day in Missouri uh, rifle season. So there's a good amount of hunting pressure in our neighborhood. And we used to joke that the farm turned into a desert after gun season because 
the deer that weren't shot were hiding under bushes going, I'm not moving till spring. And you just didn't yep. see deer after gun season. It's like, you better shoot your deer before then because afterwards it's going to be, if you're hungry, go shoot squirrels because there's not going to be deer to hunt. And, you know, we're running a lot of trail cameras now and we've done a lot of, we've done a good amount of cutting, nothing like we have planned for the future, but I have daylight uh, I have mature deer walking in daylight. I have a bunch of does walking daylight. Like they act like gun season didn't even happen around the farm. And we shot deer during gun season. So it's, it's just a good reminder of the, the, the importance of quality cover that also offers security. So, yep. No. And, and we, um, I mean, we, we honestly, hunt it hunt it the right way but um it's just that that cover on the property now and we only have two two growing seasons on half half of it but um like you said i mean usually in the middle of the season like this you're not seeing deer but um you know the other evening i took my son out and we we shot a doe and um heck the the deer there they didn't even run from a gunshot because it's just you know they feel so secure on the property (laughs) That's incredible. I bet there's a lot of people in Pennsylvania that aren't experiencing that. No, yeah, def, def, definitely not. Um, what definitely not? What day was that of gun season? Gun season opened up. What date in Pennsylvania? Um, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, and you know, my my dad and I are the only ones that hunt the property, and we both tagged out in archery season. But so. The first Tuesday afternoon was the first time I hunted the property in, in rifle. Um, and, you know, again, I mean, four days in, that's usually when it's, it's pretty dead. You're counting on somebody walking through and jumping a deer like, like a rabbit. But, I mean, 4.30, the woods start lighting up and food plots are filling up and just deer everywhere. I actually had the number two and three bucks show up five minutes after I shot, shot the doe came out into the food plot to, to feed. That's um, awesome. So how, how far uh, away were they? Um, I, um, it, it's a rifle box that we have there. So oh, we, gotcha. we're about 75 yards off the, off the food plot. So, you know, the buck was probably about 125 yards, um, where he came, but you know, I mean, if I would have had a tag left, the, the, the high eight was one on our list. So, um, but we're hoping he gets through for next year. He seems to be staying on the property. He knows not to leave. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. I know, uh, you know, going back to just the overall habitat when, when we walked, it was like, okay, let's do some, let's, let's let the logger come in here, thin the timber, take what he can, but improve our, our goal is sunlight on the forest floor and create a healthy forest. So don't cut our good young trees. Try to cut the junkier trees, the weed trees, and leave some of these really nice uh, oaks and other species that are just healthy that are going to be the next generation of trees and produce the produce the the mass of you know acorns or or fruit for the next generation. And we want those genetics passed down. And so. Just thin in the forest was goal number one, um, and then create these big bedding thickets or micro clear cuts, the uh, one to three acre clear cuts, 
improve the fo- uh, improve the food plots, and then uh, uh, another big thing was access roads. Let's use the logger. Let's let's use the skitter trails and turn these into roads and create some peri- perimeter um, access trails that hopefully one day can be turned into fire breaks. Yeah, that's a whole other story in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, but we're going to try to create this into a healthy ecosystem that hunts really, really well. And, uh, you know, I think we're on the right track. Um, you know, the access trails are, are crucial, and it's basically just skitter trails that are turned now into roadways to where you can drive a four-wheeler or a UTV all the way throughout the property. Yep. Uh, we we have a pretty good perimeter road around it that you know we can get around in the in a truck if we if we want to but no, th- those those roads were key for us because uh, I mean there was a lot of the property that you really would struggle to hunt at least hunt it hunt it the right way because you just you just couldn't get in and out without without spooking deer so those trails have have helped helped a lot and and really most of our all of our hunting set up around the perimeter of the property so. You know, we won't go into the interior food plot that, um, which was was your recommendation. But you know, unless we got a good buck on camera, or, or um, you know, kind of the heat of the rut. So, yep. Um, and, and if you uh, can kill them on the fringes, you're going to create more daylight activity uh, through the heart of it, and hopefully get more deer, young deer, through the uh, through the through rifle season to where. You have the chance of harvesting older age class bucks in the future. Oh yeah, no, and we we've seen, um, you know, and, and a lot of the neighbors there, we I, I know and and have kind of encouraged to, you know, let let them get a little older. And I mean, our goal is to try to get a four and a half year old, which is is definitely tough in Pennsylvania. But um, a lot of the neighbors are actually to where they're saying, okay, let's let's let them get to three and a half and. I mean, I can I can say in the last two three years, I mean, we've definitely moved up the age class of the deer. That's awesome. Um, you know, three years ago, there might be ten two and a half year olds shot on all the properties around. Now, you know, might be three or four, couple three three year olds and couple. So, def- definitely cool stuff happening. That's awesome. So let's let's jump into the hunting season. You said you've been seven times and yep. you have four deer. Uh, season opened yeah. up what date? Um, right around October 1st, uh, might have been the end of September there, the first Saturday, um, archery comes in. And, and uh, so, you know, my my dad that, that owns the farm that borders there, I mean, he's a, he's a I mean, he, he likes to hunt, um, you know, grew up taking off my birthday. We would, we would hunt every year, but what wasn't into it like, like I was, but um, enjoys the farm, hasn't, he hasn't killed a a buck with a bow in about 20 years, um, and has not killed a buck on the property yet. So, you know, I, I fortunately the last few years I've, I've had pretty good success and, and, um, you know, but I, I've never, never shot an animal with my dad, a turkey, deer, nothing. We've never been together and been able to share that experience. So I, you know, this year I kind of set a goal. I said, I want to, I want to get him a good buck this year. Um, and we were getting some deer on camera kind of on our Northeast side, uh, close to one of our clover plots. Um, and so we had to stand there in between a bedding thicket and, 
in a, in a small clover plot and uh, I have a tower there that two of us can get up in. So, you know, the fir- first day um, we were able to, he, he shot a, a nine. I mean, it wasn't a, it was a three and a half year old nine point. I mean, he wasn't the, the biggest buck, but um, it was probably one of the most memorable hunts I had just because, you know, able to experience that with my dad. And, um, you know, he was, he was as pumped as a 12 year old kid that shot his first buck. Um, and, <laughs> you know, so it, it, it was awesome. pretty neat. You know, being around your dad, I'm curious, you know, when I was there this past year and, and got to spend some time with, with your family and, I'm curious because your dad seems like quite the joke, the joker and, and tries to give people a hard time. So I'm curious how, what the emotions were like in that, in that blind because never, yeah. never harvesting an animal together and hadn't shot a buck with a bow in over 20 years and not even shooting one on this farm yet. I'm sure I, I, I would be curious to see if he was, you know, how was he in comparison to his normal behavior was he was he emotional or just super pumped super excited yeah he he was just super excited i mean he 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 always gives me a hard time because i take it pretty serious right hunting the right wind only hunting when the weather's right you know scent control he's like ah scent control like that doesn't matter wind like you know you don't need to worry about that stuff so yeah it was was kind of funny because i think it all came together there we're in there and he's like you know i'm like i i when we were done, I said, so you think I'm, I'm crazy. All, you know, all this stuff I'm, I'm doing, he's like, you know, I so say he's, I don't know. He, he really enjoyed it. And I think that, you know, it was really though, again, I mean, the, the way the habitats laid out and, you know, we were getting pictures of deer there, but I mean, it was a spot that you had laid out in the plan there. And, and, um, I mean, it, it all came together just, just right there. I mean, the, the, the deer were kind of doing what, they were supposed to yeah um and you know we were hunting a buck we i'm not real creative with my with my deer names but you know we were hunting a, a buck that i called the wide eight and um and we we saw him way down and then when this buck came up though i mean like i said he he was so excited that i'm like you know i had him with the range finder and told him and i mean it, it was it was really really cool for it all to come together like that so that's awesome yeah, you know, I I just talked I think last week about the inability to to get creative with names anymore on bucks because I've done it for so long that it's like okay I can't think of anything new. Uh, I've named them every name I can think of, and so a lot of them get names like exactly what you're saying. Oh, he's the wide eight. Oh, he's the the he's the nine with the G four on the right side. You don't really have creative names anymore. Um, it's just uh, the I guess the way we've evolved because uh, naming deer was a lot more popular five years ago than it is now. It seems like people are not so creative with the names anymore. Yeah, no, I had a wide eight and a high eight. That was, <laughs> that was it. But so, I thought that might be because I'm an accountant. I'm not real creative. But, um, yeah, see. yeah. So your dad shoots a nice buck and is just thrilled. Now you go out again with your boy yeah yeah so then um you know i i my my son he's six and you know really trying to figure out how to get him into it the right way and um so one of my food plots on the on the west side had the right wind and it just it's an area just gets polluted with those so i i took him out an evening 
um, first time he's, he's been in a stand with me and, um, you know, and deer, there were just does everywhere that night, some young bucks. And, you know, our, our goal was to shoot a doe. Um, and, uh, every, every time a, a doe would, would come within say 20, 30 yards and I'm saying, we're going to shoot it. He would just get super excited, put his head down in the chair beside me and giggle. Um, oh man! And um, and and I thought, you know, every deer around was looking at that box. I think they thought I had a a squirrel inside of there. He was he was jumping around. Um, <laughs> but so you know, a, a a doe walked up about twenty yards there in front of us, and and um, you know, we we were able to 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 shoot her with the bow, and um, you know, he he got to we get out and, you know, follow the blood trail and we got to see what that was all about. And, you know, so that, that was definitely a, a cool hunt too, to, to get him out there this year. And, and he's, he's super excited about it. So and then oh, we actually awesome. here in rifle season, I, I took him out that Tuesday. He was with me. I was talking there earlier about the doe we took. So he's pretty spoiled with two hunts and two, two doe down. Yeah. Uh, that is awesome. And in between the doe kills, you also had some success yourself. Yeah. So we were, um, that, that buck I said, the wide eight, we were, it's probably the first deer I've had on camera where you can really say, it's like people always say, Hey, if you're getting a deer on camera and go kill him, I've never had that. Right. Like it's like, well, I get him here over here, but, um, he was just, uh, really following a similar similar pattern up until the first day of archery and then um we got some hard rains it was pretty dry earlier um in the summer but so this this buck that we were we were watching we thought well you know as soon as soon as we start getting in november there there was one bedding thicket that he he always seemed to be around there so i'm like man like if we get the right wind there um get on the downwind side of that um so i think it was november 2nd maybe and um he it was, it was about 4 30 and and there's there's an edge that comes up and then kind of cuts around this this bedding thicket and, and i think there was about three or four other bucks that i'd saw that that evening they're just coming up and cruising right along the side of that bedding thicket and um you can see down one of the old logging roads about 200 yards down and, and i just see him coming up the trail um you know, and it was, it was kind of almost like he was on a string. It was, you know, deer usually don't do exactly what you want, but he just comes up and right, right comes there and hangs a right, right beside this bedding thicket and probably about 30 yards there. And I, you know, let one fly on him and he ran into the middle of the, the bedding thicket. And so I got to kind of go through there and see what was happening as far as growth. But, um, so I think that was, that was, hunt number six um when we when we got him so he was Man. it was about 22 inches wide inside pretty good mass so wow you know th- um good good pa buck for sure absolutely absolutely i, I know we, we've shared several pictures of client success over on instagram and, and when they say pennsylvania success and i showed your your picture i had a couple people respond like wow that's a really nice pennsylvania buck um, and it, it's just like, man, you're, you're experiencing something that is not a 
traditional Pennsylvania hunting property uh, because you put in the work to do things that nobody else is really doing in the neighborhood. Oh yeah, no. And, and, you know, the, the other thing that, that I'll mention is the, you know, the, the edge feathering, you laid out some edge feathering on my property and the, the few hunts before, before that buck, um, I had some edge feathering on a clear cut that's pretty aggressive. And, uh, I mean, the deer just, come out right where they're supposed to and it's, oh, it's man. kind of it, it's 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 a little scary you're sitting there i mean you, you see them coming through the woods and puts them out right in front of you where you where you need to where you want them to be and um a lot of definitely a, a major change from five years ago where i mean it was you couldn't even figure out where you're going to hunt the property to where now it's um you know set up in a way that if you hunt it with you hunt it right with the right right wind and right conditions i mean you know where the deer are gonna be oh that is that is just are you sure you're in pennsylvania because <laughs> it sounds I, like you know I, yeah it, it's it's funny because i i have a lot of buddies that go to ohio and kansas down to maryland different areas and and they're always trying to get me to to get on a lease and i'm like i i, I mean you know not that i don't want to hunt more but i mean i have young kids and and don't have a lot of time, but I'll tell you what, I, I'd rather hunt on my property than, than drive three or four hours. So um. that is awesome. I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, there's, there's farms out there that have much bigger deer than what I have on my farm, but <laughs> they probably don't have the edge feathering and the bedding thickets and all the habitat stuff going on. And it's like, it's not nearly as, you know, I have a pretty good idea on my own farm, what they're doing. Yep. Yeah, you know, you said something yeah. when you sent over the text. It was it was how much you just shocked at how much the edge feathering had really kind of changed the travel patterns coming in coming in food plots and helping with access. And so, I'm curious. You know, 2019, you've got food plots, not a lot of timber stuff. The big things we did was timber stand improvement. So just overall, the timber was thinned. Um, in a way of creating a healthier forest for a future timber harvest. And then at the same time, we, so we did TSI, we did bedding thickets, we did edge feathering, we did access, and then we also did some old field. Out of those five, you know, if I were to ask you the day that I was there, which one do you think was going to be the most impactful for your overall hunting with the day the first day you were there before i knew anything yeah 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 <laughs> that that well i i i was wondering why we weren't doing more food plots because you know, <laughs> the, food, the, the food plots that the one the one i think three quarter acres of food plots that that you added um at that time that's what i was most excited about oh that now, is the second awesome. time you came back um I think I had a, a, a mindset change to where, um, you know, now I'm just, I'm just waiting for the right wind so I can hunt different bedding thickets. Cause I had too many of the same wind this year that I have, you know, I want to get on some of those other bedding thickets. Yeah. You know, I had Southeast winds like crazy this fall and it was like, every time I went, I was like, okay, I can finally go this day. Oh, it's Southeast wind. I guess I'm going back to a stand I call big piney. Uh, there's a huge pine tree right there, and there's a river not too far from hometown called Big Piney River, so that's why it has a name. But uh, it's like, man, it's always a southeast wind. I guess I'm hunting that thicket today. 
and that's actually where I killed my rifle buck. So, um, it worked even though I, as they say in duck hunting, I rode the hole. I was there for a lot of hunts. Um, but yeah, you know, that is funny. I didn't realize, you know, in, in my head, food plots, anybody that's listening to this, I love food plots. We plant food plots. I recommend food plots, but it's not something like where I have guidelines where it's like, I have to have 5% of the property in food plots. And so I didn't even realize it was only three quarters of an acre that I had added in food plots on your place. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's no, awesome. It, yep. Yep. And yeah, and, I was, I was ready beforehand, I think, you know, to, to do 10%. So I was looking at, well, oh, I need to triple what I have. Yeah. But. Get the dozers out fellas. We're going to have a big one. Yeah, no, it didn't do that. Uh, we, we focus more on cover and, and native forage and, and, and because of that, we would get more for, uh, cover across the entire place. And, you know, now, so I asked you that at the beginning, what do you think has really, you know, if you were to, if you could only do one, like if you bought another farm, if you could only do one, which one do you think you'd do first? Um, it, I would definitely just do the timber stand improvement and yeah. scatter out the, the, the bedding tickets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's... Yeah. It's amazing how it's almost like you you were blind and now you see whenever you you don't really know the power of timber stand improvement and bedding thickets uh, until you experience it. Yeah, no, and, and we, we like you said, we did a little bit of the old old field management up on my dad's place, which, I mean, that, that was extremely powerful too because, I mean, that place was polluted with autumn olive trees. I mean, we've had a mission on autumn olive trees and uh we had one field up there that was uh, about three acres it was just complete 100 percent autumn olives and, and we we cleaned that out um i think it was actually right after you about that first spring and um i'll yep. tell you what the the growth that we got there was was unbelievable and, um and I, I didn't hunt back? it but oh uh, it was uh i mean goldenrod if i remember right yeah goldenrod and and i mean there was you had some native grasses blackberry and right and all kinds of forbs and you know it's it's that that first year i mean it was chest high and and i think in turkey season there were there were pults in there i mean um it 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 made a huge difference so that's definitely a area of focus here coming up this this summer now is the keep removing the autumn olives and, and seeing what grows up out on the, you know, on the, on the farm side and the pastures. Yep. Cause when you think about it, you know, when we paint the picture of that, of the cattle side is what is timber, little wooded draws or fence rows. The understory was mostly autumn olive. So when you think about it from a standpoint of, and shoot, I just described half of Pennsylvania with that statement. So, um, the autumn olive, that was a big thing you removed, and it's highly debated. Oh, you, you get rid of the autumn olive, what are they going to, you know, that's that's the best there is for that area. And, you know, I've recommended some, even some uh, red osier dogwood plantings in your kind of swampy lowland areas to try to increase that same shrubby component that's also a highly preferred woody browse um, that I think <laughs> for so many guys – for you, you guys are kind of piling them up and getting them out of there. But if somebody's just like, what can I do? I have autumn olive. I don't know what to do with it. What can I replace it with? And it's like, cut the autumn olive down, treat the stump, and then plant three or four bare root 
red osiers, well, depending on where you're at, plant those right there and let them grow up and be protected from that autumn olive skeleton and in five years, see what it looks like. And I bet you, you'll be like, well, I'll sacrifice the few years of not having that big uh, woody structure of the autumn olive for having that gone and replaced with something that's much more beneficial for more wildlife. Yeah, no, for sure. That's, that's uh, been big for us. The turkeys are, are, you know, we're seeing a, a definite increase. Well, whether it's an increase in the turkey population, the turkeys are on our property because of all the, the young growth and, and uh, so all the that's pretty good. So you're seeing turkeys. We didn't oh, talk yeah. about yep. that before. Yep. That's yep. awesome. Yep. Uh, what about grouse? Is there many grouse in your area? It, it's pretty rare. Um, you know, honestly, I, I don't think I've kicked up a grouse and. 15 years anywhere i've been and i used to do a little more rabbit hunting so i don't do that as much anymore but um you know if if you see one it scares you half to death because you know they're they're pretty rare gotcha well hopefully it'd be great you know grouse if there's a few grouse that show up i think that'd be a testament to timber management um on your place especially if you've got that many 12 to 14 bedding thickets uh, 20 to 30 acres of young forest on a total of 180 acres. I mean, it, it makes sense that if if there's any in the area, they should be coming into your farm because you have you have more of what they need than probably the adjoining acres. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's it's so exciting the the results that you've seen in just a few years, and I'm so excited to see. You know, well, you're you're not even one year removed from another from 50 percent of the of the next timber harvest that occurred this past summer. So it'll be very interesting to follow up in a couple of years and see just how much the property has changed. You know, when we were there this summer, shoot, there were scarlet, scarlet tanagers everywhere uh, in that part of the world, and which is a woodland bird. Uh, and so they were really already taking advantage of the place. And, you know, we had, we'd walked a few other properties while we were up there and very rarely did we see those birds. So it was like, Okay, they definitely have keyed in on on this property uh, where the timber's been thinned. Yeah, yep. yeah. No, it's um, pretty neat. I was sitting in the stand watching, and you know, I you can see a area that was cut two years ago, and then the one that was cut this year, and that's I'm sitting there thinking, it's like, just can't wait for a couple more years of growth. I mean, what I'm seeing now, um, man, yeah, that it's definitely pretty cool. Is that all the keeps coming up yep oh man well man I, I i thank you so much for coming on and telling the story and letting everybody know about the success you've had and the and the changes and hopefully it encourages some of our listeners out there to to get the chainsaws out or talk to a logger in their area and start trying to figure out how to if the property needs thinning if the forest needs some management most likely it does i'm gonna throw a very hard assumption out there but um and just hopefully inspire them to think about the health of the land and how to improve the health of the land while also making the hunting better. Uh, and I think that's what a lot of guys would say, whoa, there's actually a win-win here for me. So um, thanks so much for coming on, Will. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Yeah.